We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to the Esports Biz Show. I'm your host, Justin Jacobson. This week we'll be discussing esports organizations. Just as a disclaimer, nothing here is intended as legal advice, so all the information is for educational purposes only. This week's guest is Chris Lama. Chris is the Vice President of Esports at Amuka Esports. He's also the co-founder of esports organizations Parabellum Esports and Northern Shield Esports, as well as an esports marketing professor at Seneca College in Canada. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. We're excited to have you. So to start, tell us a little bit about your past esports and gaming experience. What was the first game you played and how'd you get involved in the esports and video game business? Awesome. Okay. So the first game I remember playing um, would probably be like Super Mario 3 on the NES. I just remember playing that like on weekends at my grandma's house. Um and then just as I grew up, I've always had Xbox as my as my main um, console and just always playing racing games. Uh, so Project Gotham was probably a big one for me. And then into the Forza Motorsports uh, games uh, and then competitive wise, never really got too much into competitive gaming. Uh, but now, you know, Rocket League and Rainbow Six are two of my two of my big things um, when it comes to getting into the esports industry. Uh, been in about for five five and a half years now um always been part of uh ownership of a organization i kind of got in in the early days when fortnite started becoming big uh i think i guess around 2016 2017 while i was in college started just doing research on upcoming businesses upcoming opportunities um and just through research really got interested in the esports side of things so uh, sat down with a friend of mine, Justin, and we started brainstorming. How can we get into this industry? And at the time in Toronto, there was not a lot of esports organizations or teams. Uh, so we kind of just went for it and uh, started building a community around not necessarily top level, high level players, but just local players who wanted a place to be a part of a community, kind of like how growing up in traditional sports, hockey, baseball, whatever. You've got all your different levels. We were working on more of the um, the lower side and, and the community level stuff. So um, started that, started doing some research. And just like over the years, we started developing and getting bigger and bigger, uh, signing more teams and players. And I'm sure we'll get into more of that detail later on. But that's kind of the the injection into the industry. 
So were you like, you know, being a lifelong gamer, did you like know about esports, what was going on? It was more of like, I'm an entrepreneur. What is a good business for me to get into? I think for me, it was the entrepreneur side. And then for Justin, um, having background in Call of Duty in the past, he knew more about the competitive side. Um, And then just as I kind of researched more about the industry and started really doing deep dives into things, I I learned more about the, the competitive side, but I did not have any competitive background when I entered. Okay, nice. So it's kind of like you have the business and that side combined with the real experience. I I think that's a wonderful combo. And I think you see that as some of the most successful, you know, business partnerships of, you know, this person that has just general business knowledge, whether it's marketing, legal, you know, accounting, you know, business development or network, or even your own finances with someone who's more endemic to an industry and has kind of knows the ins and outs and how things are supposed to operate and you kind of come together and have this nice synergy that, you know, kind of complement each other and, you know, different strengths and weaknesses kind of get counteracted. Exactly. So, yeah, so tell us a little bit about some of the work you're doing with, you know, the team, Paravellum Esports and Northern Shield and some of the, you know, recent news. And, you know, give us just like a little information on the organization, what games they compete in and, you know, everything else. Yeah, for sure. So we'll start with Paravellum. Um, Paravellum's been around now for, um, just over a year, uh, we rebranded from a, from the previous founded organization and, um, we just kind of went all in. So, uh, through there we met with, um, with Ben Pfefferman. He's, uh, from Amuka Esports, the CEO. And we sat down and we brainstormed a lot of ideas on how we can make our past organization better. The old organization's name was called Shattered Dreams. So we were having problems, number one, with sponsorship, uh, opportunities. Uh, So we sat down, we figured, let's rebrand, let's restructure how everything is, and let's launch this new brand. So we launched it in, I think, uh, December of 2020 was the official launch. Um, And it was about two months prior uh, of all just brainstorming and getting merch ideas lined up and jerseys uh, and all that with our creative director, Drew. Um, Once we launched, we had to figure out what games we wanted to get into um, and for me, number one game for me was Rocket League. So started doing some research on how we can enter that scene. Um, and then we started researching and looking into Rainbow Six. We had always had um, some players playing for us um, in Rainbow Six. Again, it was a local roster because that was our thing. Uh, but we came across this roster um, at the time they were playing under the, the banner of Altiora. And they had just finished, um, they had just won the Canadian Nationals. And they were in attempt to qualify for the Six Invitational. So I sat down with our team manager and I said, hey, whatever you do, drop everything. I want you to go talk to this roster. I want to see if we can acquire them. I want to see if we can get them to come play for Parabellum. I'm like, I didn't know too much about this other organization. I'm sure... Everyone has a price tag, so let's see what they're interested in. Maybe we can acquire this team. So over some time, lots of negotiations um, back and forth with their organization. Um, we ended up finding an opportunity for us to acquire the team. Um, their contracts expired uh, in in February. They didn't renew. We 
contacted the players, um, sent them an offer, and we ended up getting them uh, just in time for them to qualify for the six invitational. So we, as a first year team, got to go to the world championships for Rainbow Six, which was huge for us. Um, we've now been with them, well, the core of the team now for a year. Uh, we just resigned them and. Uh, over the last year, they've been competing in the amateur level, so the Northern, uh, sorry, the North American Challengers League, um, and they were promoted in December after beating beating Exet uh, into the the North American Pro League, which is huge. Uh, they've been through a lot this roster, and we've supported them the entire time. So it's been really good to watch them grow from a what you would say a, an amateur organization to now a professional organization. Um, through time we've worked on having rocket league rosters. Uh, it's just really tough structure right now, especially in the North American scene. Uh, so we are looking elsewhere. We're looking into, uh, South America. We're looking into the APAC region for the RLCS. Uh, we do, however, have a top four women's roster in rocket league. They just, uh, recently finished their league, uh, the women's carball championship. They finished fourth place, which is huge. Um, and then they also played in the Radiant GG event um, the week prior to that. And uh, they also finished fourth there. It was the largest women's uh, Rocket League event in the world ever, which is great. And I'm, I love to see the women's support on that front. Um, and then the last piece, I guess, would be um, we're in the middle at this time of announcing a women's Rainbow Six roster in the Circuito Feminino in Brazil. Um Again, lots of research goes into team acquisition for us. And we thought that this was one of the biggest women's leagues around in, in most games, other than maybe the Valorant Game Changers. Uh, so we wanted to hop in, keep everything cohesive with, you know, we're big in Rainbow Six. We're big in Rocket League. Let's stay in those games for now before we scale and run ourselves too thin. So we found this roster uh, and we are have signed them officially and we're just working on the uh, strategic announcements as we speak. Interesting. So you definitely, you know, impact a lot there. So let's kind of tease some of that. So you yeah. kind of mentioned, you know, deciding on which players you sign and different titles to enter. So how does that kind of work? Like what's the process when you're signing a player, scouting them and as well as determining which titles and teams to sign and enter? Um, when it comes to the, the games um, specifically, I like to stick in games that our management is comfortable in. Um, we want to be sure that we understand the game. We understand the competitive scene. What is our path? If we do sign a roster that maybe would be considered a bubble team um, or an amateur team like the NACL team, what's our what's our peak? What's our ceiling with that team? And now we've hit, well, we haven't really hit the ceiling with our Rainbow Six roster, which would be winning the, um, the Six Invitational. Uh, we also want to qualify through the North American League because that's the only way to get in other than a last chance qualifier, uh, which is how they got in uh, in the past. Uh, you need to earn uh, SI points through the entire season. And then if you're the top four team in North America, you would get into the, the Invitational. So that would be obviously how we look into teams and games. And then when it comes to players... Um, sometimes teams come together as a, as a core. So our Rainbow Six, our Rocket League rosters, they've all come together as a full team when we acquire them. And then, of course, some players leave. Some players might get dropped by 
a manager or a coach, and we need to discuss who's going to fill that void. And I leave that again. I personally leave that to the coaches and managers so we can discuss how we're going to fill that. And they usually have some backups prior to dropping a player or benching a player or whatever it is. Um, So again, I am not too versed in what makes a good player. Um, I know what makes a marketable player. So that helps my decision making. But when it comes to who is a, who's the best player for this spot, I trust the people who are involved directly, the players and the coach to make that decision. And then kind of give me a list of two or three guys who we think we should add and we'll go from there. Interesting. I think that, you know, that's really important for, you know, people that are kind of trying to start organizations, be involved in it, understand how it works is that, you know, everyone has their own role. There's individuals who are general managers and team scouts and coaches who they're involved in kind of the personnel decisions while there are other departments that you know have their input ultimately you have specialists who know the scene know the mechanics know the strategy and they have a lot to say in how it all works exactly yeah i again i i'm not going to tell my coach that this guy's better than this guy when i don't know what whoever's role is really at the time so definitely. And I think that's one of the kind of the benefits of it. And as you're seeing more and more teams understanding this and starting to have coaches for specific games and even assistant coaches and analysts and, you know, a whole coaching staff, whereas maybe a couple of years ago, there was just maybe one coach for all the teams. Just like we see in the, uh, the collegiate scene, but we won't get too into that. <laughs> exactly. So I also noticed the teams involved in iRacing. So tell us a little bit about that competitive scene and, you know, why the organization is involved in it. Yeah. So again, as I mentioned earlier, like racing has been a huge part of my, um, my gaming experience over time. Um, so our iRacing division is actually more of a community versus a competitive scene. Although we are looking into getting uh, into like the eNASCAR, the the Dirt Pro Series, but our slogan for the racing team is driven by community. Um, it's run by an amazing person named James. Uh, he's been running it for us since the Shattered Dreams day, um, and we moved everything into Parabellum Racing uh, with the brand and everything. And these guys do endurance racing they do 24 hour or 12 hour endurance races um they're in a few league circuits now so they're getting a little bit more into the league stuff and then we kind of dabbled last year uh in a partnership into the uh the e-nascar road to pro uh which was a lot of fun and as somebody who grew up watching nascar and again was part of racing stuff um i really like the structure that's there the struggle with us at the time was trying to get the charter uh, to be able to compete at the highest level in the in the Coke series. So that's a goal of mine is to get into that. Well, yeah, I mean, tell us a little bit about, you know, the Coke series and just kind of the whole competitive scene around it. I know, you know, a lot of people and probably my listeners aren't that familiar with the simulation racing scene and, you know, what that looks like. For sure. Yeah. So uh, the Coke series is actually run by NASCAR and Coca-Cola um as a sponsor for that and it's probably one of the most exciting um weekly events that i i get to tune in and watch they do it on i believe it's on mondays um and it's usually in line with the actual um nascar cup 
uh, circuit. So wherever they're racing on Sunday, the race usually happens on Monday in the in the Coke series. And just the way they have it structured um, is great because you actually have that road to pro. So you start in the amateur division. You have to have certain ratings. And there's so many guys driving in this. And they're earning points just like I talked about the SI points for Rainbow Six. They're earning points every week. And they get into these like as the season goes on each stage, they eliminate a whole bunch of drivers. And then these drivers now have the opportunity to continue to compete and earn that spot into a professional, into the professional racing league where now teams are going to be probably paying them. Uh, They get to drive sponsored cars. I mean, I think TSM is partnered with Logitech Gialtis, which is huge. Um, Charlotte Phoenix have a team in there. Xset have a team in there. Uh, Space Station Gaming have a team in there. And then a bunch of the actual NASCAR drivers have a few cars in that series. So it's backed by more than just the esports community. It's also backed by the endemic NASCAR scene, which is, I think, one of the coolest things. And I think you're seeing that in some other games, like I guess the more traditional sports games, like. Uh, NHL would be a good example where you're seeing the actual brands of of the NHL teams backing the eSport. So I think the whole program of that is really good. And it gives, again, the players the opportunity and the drivers the opportunity to earn their spot into that professional league in a different way that you don't see in a lot of other eSports. Interesting. I think that that's, you know, really unique. And I'm pretty sure that the the largest TV rating in the U.S. was for, an, you know, an iRacing event. So it definitely translated to the mainstream audience a lot more than some of the other televised esports that we've seen in the past. Yeah. And they were the first like traditional sports brand or traditional company um, at the beginning of COVID to do something hey, you know what, we have an opportunity here to continue our league, continue our actual professional live racing scene and create something and showcase what iRacing is. I know Dale Earnhardt Jr. is a big, he's a big part of the iRacing um, scene. He's one of the guys who helps get the, the tracks laser scanned and all of that. And for whoever doesn't know anything about iRacing, it is the most realistic version of racing in Simulator where they actually laser scan the tracks for every bump, pebble, whatever it is, uh, to make it as realistic as possible. Um, I've tried it super hard, um, and I like commend all the guys who are great at what they do um, on those tracks. So uh, I'm super excited to see the future of iRacing and the development of the eNASCAR Cup. So uh, I'm hoping eventually you'll see a Parabellum uh, racing car in the in the charter interesting so kind of you know touch a little bit tell us you know what northern esport northern shield esports is and some kind of recent news with everything going on over there yeah so northern shield esports was um originally started as i mean as everything does as an idea to allow youth to get education from industry professionals on what their path to x is it doesn't have to be to be a professional player it doesn't have to be to be a coach it whatever you want to do in the industry again i don't have um 
coaching experience in esports. I don't have um, competitive experience in esports. So a, a student might not listen to me about in-game coaching, but I can uh, help somebody's path for how to market a team from literally nothing to whatever we've built now to being a hopefully a household name in Rainbow Six um, on that front. And that goes along with marketing themselves and marketing a team if they want to start it or whatever it is. Um, so we've built this kind of pipeline for and courses and uh, we've developed a podcast and all of that to give the experience of where this person came from and get them into whatever they want to do. Um, we've kind of we're kind of on pause with what's going on at Northern Shield right now as we restructure and redevelop um, Parabellum and Northern Shield have just recently been acquired um, by Antema um, out of Montreal. So we're kind of just sitting down as a, as a core and we're looking at um, restructuring things and, and seeing what works and what we can continue to provide to everyone. So again, uh, we don't want to run everyone in the company too thin right now, but we, we do want to continue with this program as, as time goes on, I think it's super important being someone from the educational side too, that we need to continue this for the youth side. And if it's not being available in high schools uh, in Canada right now on esports, like how can we help this as even an extracurricular? Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about, you know, the recent acquisition kind of, you know, about the company and some of the plans. Yeah, for sure. So, um, been a wild ride for the past year i guess for me um we were part of the amuka esports group um and over the last little while uh we were approached as a core from uh by antema and lots of conversations uh over a few months and we just recently like uh like i mentioned we got acquired uh by antema uh for parabellum and northern shield esports which is great um, we have a lot of opportunities uh, that are going to come from the Antema group. Uh, it's super exciting. There's lots of um, lots of meetings right now. We're still in um, what they like to call the hypercare mode. Uh, so we're making sure that everything is is uh, being transferred over properly, and you know we're meeting with the right people and we're having the right conversations, um, and reporting is being done uh, accurately so they know. Um, and the great thing is it's a very uh, educated and driven uh, ownership group. They love esports. They love gaming. Uh, even in our Slack chats, we're always talking about what the current craze is. Uh, so everyone at the moment is talking about Elden Ring. Uh, so it's really refreshing. Not to say that we don't add Amuka. Everyone at Amuka as well was like that. Um, just sometimes people think that you know the corporate level these guys are not gamers, but I can wholeheartedly say that they are 100%. Like when you talk to the CEO, CEO or the, the CFO, they're like, oh, I just upgraded my PC or I just downloaded the next game. Like that, that excites me and gives me more, you know, passion to go do something that, that gets things moving. So anytime there's a new, new update and, you know, new roster signing, we're talking to this pe- person. Um, it's, they're they're more you know it's genuine about it as opposed to just being a 
a pure business decision. Like, how are we going to make money on this? No, that's a great opportunity. Now, how can we scale it? So that's kind of how it is over there. Absolutely. And, you know, the enthusiasm is kind of contagious. It's like you see them wanting to, you know, succeed and be involved in it. And it makes you want to, you know, grind harder and, you know, put in an extra effort to make it successful. Exactly. I I mean, I, number one thing is I don't want to be a number at a company. Um, and it's nice to have a relationship and to be able to call the CEO and be like, like on the phone, not just on a, a Google Meet or a Teams or whatever. I have this idea. What do you think? And he actually gets excited about it. Um, and I've met him and he's come to our arena in Toronto and I got flown out to Florida to meet them and, and do some strategy. They're all from Montreal, but we ended up in, in Florida for like this team strategy meeting, flew us down there for a couple of days, did this, I mean, two, two day work session. And then we all came back home and started getting to work on it. So it's really exciting. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you know, congrats on that. We're excited to see where it goes from there. So kind of when you're operating an esports team, what are some benefits of maybe having, you know, streamers and content creators in addition to competitive teams? I would say the benefit to that is um well, I guess for us it's it's two steps. We have a competitive yeah, so the, yeah, the competitive team, but we have our streamers who are cohesive with our competitive teams. So when we're looking for a streamer or a content creator, we want to make sure that they are in the sector that we're in. It doesn't make sense for me right now, unless I'm trying to maybe acquire a roster from Halo for us to have a content creator that specifically plays Halo. So we have one major content creator in Rainbow Six, and we have one major content creator in Rocket League. And then we have a few, just a handful, I think three or four content creators who are more in the variety games. And at that time, maybe some of their audience gets driven to us because of having, you know, the Rainbow Six roster and they're talking about the teams or they're doing charity events with us. Um, excuse me for one second. Okay, cool. So you definitely kind of see it as a way to kind of further build your brand within the spaces that you're in. That you know, you're already in the community for Rainbow Six. So you have your competitive team, but also having the streamers and content creators lets you continue to, you know, focus on more fans of Rainbow Six and of that game and it really kind of like one builds the other. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 hand in hand. Um so I can talk about one of our, our newest acquisitions for content and he's pox unlocks. Um, he used to be a professional player in the Canadian circuit. And now he's solely focusing on, on content in rainbow six. He's built up a TikTok. He's got 200,000 followers and growing. He's got a good Twitch. He's and he's local. So all of that together was a win for us. So we approached him and we said, Hey, first off, we know who you are. We've been watching your content. You come up on my For You page all the time. Um, what can we do to get you to work with us as Parabellum? Also, we have this huge opportunity where if you do sign with us, you're allowed to co-stream the Six Invitational this year, which is the first time any content creators are allowed to stream or co-stream the, the Six Invitational. 
So I already had that hook, right? Um, planted it. We had some conversations, went back and forth, got him some gear from one of our sponsors for his stream, got him some merch and signed him. And now he's able to do the co-streaming. Another part of it is we're going to be moving our team, our pro team down to Vegas because that's where the league is run. Maybe I fly him down there and we do some team content with him and the players. So we've got that whole, again, that cohesiveness. It's my favorite word um, when it comes to my teams, right? So all of that, put it together and you've got this solid content and competitive team that kind of helps grow each other. Everyone's building an audience and then reverts back to the organization. Awesome. I mean, that definitely makes sense. So kind of look at some typical issues encountered when operating an esports team. You know, what are some pitfalls to look out for? Any, you know, advice to any new owners starting out? My advice to everyone is always try not to start an esports organization, um, especially from the ground up with little knowledge or little funding. It's It's really, really hard. I know a lot of people are passionate about it and everyone... I think everyone, when they're starting, they always say the same things, and I'm guilty of it too. It's we're here to build the community. We're here to give a better opportunity to the players. Um, and yeah, at the at the end of the day, it is exactly what we want. And I do. And you can ask any of my players. I have a personal relationship with every single player or content creator that joins our roster that joins Parabellum or Northern Shield or whatever it is. Because I don't think it's fair for them not to know who I am. And I want to actually understand what they're looking for long-term, not just when they're here at Parabellum. Um, The biggest thing comes down to is, and you see this a lot with organizations, is they're not financially prepared. Either they don't understand finances, they don't understand marketing, they don't understand public relations, all of this will lead to the end of an organization within a month, three months, a year. And depending on how long that organization goes for, and we've seen it with other orgs, I'm not going to say names, where they send out a message after five years of operation and all of this stuff comes out about their organization. Like, I don't want that to happen to us. So communication is like one of the biggest things. and then, like I said uh, a few seconds ago, was like public relations is making sure you know how to address when things happen. Because we've been through in our past year, uh, we've been through a cheating scandal. We've been through a sexual abuse allegation of one of our coaches. Um, we've been through now um, toxicity ban from one of our world-class Rocket League players. I'm not scared to talk about this stuff. It sucks, but it's the fact that we need to understand how to um, address it to the public, explain what's happening. I still try to protect the players as much as possible, um, especially because the media is going to come after them. Um, there might be potential you know, lawsuits between people or leagues or teams or whatever it is. I just want to make sure that everyone understands what's going on to the best of our ability and then just not, you know, have problems down the road that, you know, come back to anybody. So 
those are a few like those are those are the major things and i had to deal with some of this like my first two months of of opening parabellum to be a world-class or potential world-class organization and and we're dealing with things like this but again public relations is, is probably a key in communication yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where you have individuals that maybe aren't, you know, multi-year, multi-business operators and entrepreneurs. And, you know, sometimes whether it's sponsorship falling through or being delayed or tournament winnings or all this money is supposed to come in gets delayed. It then puts you behind this and money that you thought was going to come in. And, you know, sometimes things just kind of spiral out of control. And I think, you know, as you mentioned, this crisis management, being able to publicly manage the situation, say the right things, make sure that you take the right stands based on what you legally can say depending on what's ongoing is important and i think that you see organizations even the major ones having issues and you know some of them handling it better than others and you know when a player does something wrong most of the time the organization is the first one to acknowledge it and you know take whatever actions are necessary so you know, that's kind of part of your job. It's like you can't control other people's actions. You know, there's, there's nothing you can do if somebody gets mad and says something online that they shouldn't have or type something out in a moment of angst or anger. However, the way you handle it and respond to it, you know, you have the power to control that. Exactly. And one of the things I tell the guys, too, is at time of if anything does come up like this, the best thing to do is approach me first. Hey, I messed up. This is what happened. What can I do to make this better? And my first response usually would be you need to stop like cease all social media until we come to a conclusion on how we're going to approach this. Let's make a statement about it if we can. Let's talk about it. Um people are going to start sending tweets or screenshots or whatever it is which is what happened with the the cheating allegation like i woke up to a phone call from one of my managers and we had to figure out what we were going to do it's like crisis control right now is everyone's like full social media blackout do not talk do not say anything we'll have a meeting first thing tomorrow and discuss what we're going to do silence sometimes is the best response until you can get ahead of it and i like to get ahead of things if we can before people start coming up with even more things so it's uh obviously a learning curve and and unfortunately because there's no barrier to entry with starting an organization um you know in the fortnite times when when fortnite teams were huge you had like 14 15 16 year old kids like starting these teams and promising that they were going to pay people and all this stuff you can't. You can't promise that um, unless somehow you have a, a ton of money in your bank account that nobody knows about it, and then probably still not a great idea. Um, so I guess all that, it's an interesting, <laughs> interesting business to be in sometimes, especially on the team ownership side. 100%. I mean, with all the kind of the teams going public and you seeing kind of the multi-million dollar losses that they post each quarter and how they find that acceptable and well within their, you know, kind of parameters and probabilities is just, you know, an interesting model that I'm sure we can debate for a while. But, you know, shifting a little bit, 
I know you mentioned that you're also a professor where you teach esports courses at Seneca College in Canada. So tell us about the course you teach and how'd you get involved in the program and do you see more colleges developing courses like this, both you know, locally in Canada and internationally? Yeah, so this is great because this is what I this is my actual day to day job. Um, I so the program I teach at Seneca is called um, the Esports Experience. Um, it is in the esports marketing division at Seneca, which is through the School of Marketing at Seneca. It's a big like you know stepping stool for how the course works or the School of Marketing, whatever you want to call it. Um, which is what I'm a graduate from. I'm a graduate from um, what the program was, EMV. So uh, events, I wish I could remember what it was called, Sports Entertainment and Arts Event Marketing uh, was the course that I graduated from, which was through the School of Marketing. And I was the one guy doing esports assignments in my in my course. Everything I talked about was esports, 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 because that's when I was super involved with the, you know, that market research that I was talking about earlier, uh, which then led to the founding of an organization and where we are today. Um, so towards the end of the semester in my graduating year, I went up to a couple of the professors and I said, hey, look, there's an opportunity. I'm not saying today, but there's going to be an opportunity in the next three to five years for Seneca to be a leader with esports, whether it be starting an esports club, which probably already existed, um, and then getting into educational programming for esports. Said we don't, we shouldn't be teaching too much about what esports is really at the start. I think it would be ideal to have an esports course in this program, just like you would have a. Uh, a sports marketing course and a general marketing program. I said, let's sprinkle in some esports to start, and then eventually you guys could probably develop into a esports program, which eventually now they have. Um, within I guess two years, I got invited to be part of the program advisory committee, um, and it all started with that one conversation that I had prior. Right? Um, they called a bunch of us in through email said we want to set up this program advisory committee for esports. We've gone through the initial steps of setting up the program. And I'll never forget walking into the room and, you know, seeing some big names sitting at the table. And I was just at the time still kind of this little guy. I'm like, I just graduated from college. I started my own team. Everyone knew who I was um, because it was uh, the Toronto community is just close. But seeing a guy like Charlie Watson from from Lazarus and Title, um, seeing a guy like uh, Shane Talbot, who is part of um, the MLSE esports programs, like guys that I looked up to when I was starting my organization, I'm now sitting at the same table with at the program advisory committee and helping develop this new program. Uh, so we started this. The, they started the esports marketing program. And at the time, I wasn't allowed to teach because I was part of the the program advisory committee, the PAC. We'll call it the PAC, so I don't have to say those words over and over. Um, so an opportunity came up from the school, and they said, hey, we, we want you to teach this program. Um, it's called the eSports Experience. It's 
the experiential marketing side for teams, players, um, organizations, uh, content creators, whatever, and, and brands, endemic, non-endemic, all of that. And you have the experience with most of those things. How would you be able to teach it? And I was like, yeah. So I took a look at the program and I sat down with the a few of the people, the directors, and I said, look, there's some things we need to change. There's a lot of old information, which is great, but you and I both know that, um, and the school might not know, but we know that there's so much news that happens. Even when we log back on to social media after this podcast, something's going to happen, right? So each week we have to update what's going on. Each month we have to update the course. And each semester, we have to take a deep dive and relook at what we're teaching and if it's still viable at the time. And they didn't think about that, I guess, too in depth when they were developing the program. Or at least some of them are, you know, best practices from organizations and how what is endemic and non-endemic. Well, that's just not how it works. You know, academia is like we have this curriculum; everyone can teach it. Like you know, the course I'm teaching now, it's like. I'm just teaching something that exists. They already have the lectures, the videos, the articles, the chapters, everything they want. They just need someone to grade stuff, interact with the students. But the information is almost on autopilot, and that's really how most academia works. Right, but we both know that's not how the esports industry works, right? Mm -hmm. So it's always in development. And that's something that – so that goes to kind of like what I do on the day-to-day is I'm on these – kind of committees and course development for colleges in Canada um, right now. We're signing contracts and we're working with colleges. And one of the first things we tell them is, look, this has a shelf life. This course is going to have a shelf life that in maybe a year, maybe a year and a half, or maybe two years if you're lucky, depending on which specific course it is. Like maybe the sponsorship course will be fine and you won't have to do too much work on. But this one, again, the eSports experience course, we need to rebuild that or relook at it every year and a half, at least. Because it ha- things change so, so fast because this industry is so young. And they understand that. And if I say to them, the best thing to do is sit down with the professor and make sure that professor understands the industry and they're not just a hired hand that you're going to have to replace because the students are going to eventually be more knowledgeable than the professor because they're they're living it every single day so your professor needs to be endemic to the industry if they're teaching an esports course not just joe from marketing 101 who understands how to teach like every professor at Seneca right now is endemic to the industry. We all live it. We all work in it every single day. So that's what I like about our college and our program. Well, you know, I, the ones that I'm working with, I'm definitely, you know, the endemic person. And, you know, as you mentioned, you have to kind of keep up to date. And, you know, the class I'm teaching at UNCW, I'm constantly adding new stuff to the information. You know, I added something today where it's like, oh, this new college scene was, you know, a league was announced. So that's a college league and scene you should be aware of. So it's 
you know, like you said, a constantly evolving thing. So are there any courses that you think are currently missing and should be developed? You know, any information that you feel like, you know, students in general need and, you know, is just not really readily available? Um, I think earlier education is my biggest thing right now. Um, it's great to have it in the college, in the collegiate level, 100%. But like I said, my favorite courses that I've worked on with other colleges is we are a business program and we want to sprinkle in some ed- some esports education. We are a marketing program and we want to sprinkle in some esports education. I'm not saying that the program at Seneca isn't great because I teach in it and I, I was part of the development of it, but I think it's still too early stage to have an entire esports program. Although it's only eight months and it's a postgraduate, so you have to come from somewhere else. I think we're still too early to have a an esports degree, if that makes sense. Definitely. And it's like, what is a degree in esports? You know, there's so many different areas of yeah. quote unquote esports and competitive gaming where it's like, do you have a degree in marketing for esports? Does that mean you know how to market talent and events and teams and you know what KPIs are and what deliverables are and all these things or is it just a general marketing degree that has a concentration in esports so you it's know like it's definitely going to evolve yeah eventually we'll get into the full-on you know esports programs where they're it's two years long and it's it's like how your traditional sports is uh your traditional sports marketing or, or whatever it is but again you have so many pieces of that and for me my focus coming back from traditional marketing, I can take some of that and build it into esports and then just study what's happening in the industry right now and understand what what we need to do. Um, So I would, and this might (laughs) be not exciting for some people, but I would almost rather hire somebody who's got more endemic traditional marketing than, sorry, I guess that would be non-endemic. traditional marketing than esports marketing right now. It's great that you learned esports marketing, but I you still need the the traditional focus of of the esport of the of marketing there along with business and finance and all that other stuff depending on what division of my team or my organization you want to be a part of. 100%. I think that's what a lot of, you know, academics are learning in this space where you know, like you said, you have this general business or finance or legal or whatever degree it is. And then there's just this education on this is how it applies to esports. This is how it applies to competitive gaming scene where you have this more general applicable knowledge that you could work for any company as marketing, not just esports or a video game company or something involved. So, you know, I definitely think that that's a trend you're starting to see and is probably going to be, you know, some of the more valuable courses that a student might take. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's advice you have for anyone trying to work in the esports business? That's a loaded question. <laughs> There's so much, I guess. Um, but the biggest thing, I guess, would be to stay true to yourself and what you enjoy. Um, when you're reaching out to businesses or teams or sponsors, you know, the biggest thing I see is people not actually doing their research. Um, I'll get an email or a DM on Twitter asking to join our organization. 
and we might already have a team in there. So, um, or maybe not even go into the right person to, to discuss certain things. Um, or I work with a lot of my managers who want to start like talking to brands and things for sponsorship of a team. Like my first question to them is why do you think this works with our team? Like does their brand fit our brand and making sure we're not just reaching out to people for, for money because we need money. It's reaching out to them because there's an actual opportunity for partnership and it works within our brand and their brand's morals and, and things like that. Um, and I think one of the biggest things is we need to clean up the professionalism in the industry for sure. Um, everyone is a Twitter warrior. A lot of players are Twitter warriors and they go directly to Twitter to complain about something or talk about a league or uh, other players in the league. And you don't see that in traditional sports. It is probably, I mean, we are in the entertainment industry and it is sometimes entertaining to watch things that are going on on social media, but we need to focus more on, you know, PR training and understanding the right things to say at the right times. And if I'm looking at players, you could be the best player in the world, but if you're going to be bad for PR for our team, we're probably not going to sign you. Um, cause I'd rather not deal with drama every week on social media because this player said this, or this happened. Um, and you see it all the time with pro teams dropping a guy because of a social media thing. So that would be my key ones, I guess, um, for, for the start for now. And again, I could go on, we could probably go on for hours on, on things and advice. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's really episode. great advice, and I know I echo that sentiment a lot. Where it's like, there's tactful ways to let a publisher know that you don't like something that's going on, or a team, or a league operator, or a teammate, or a coach. Like going on Twitter, or you know, making a a rant on YouTube is not the proper way, and it really doesn't help you. Like you said, it doesn't help you know the other affiliations, whether it's your team or your sponsors or you know the other people working with you. Because that's just not the professional way you operate. Yeah, I like what you said there. It's you're not just representing yourself. You're representing an organization. You're representing all the sponsors that you wear on your jersey or have in your Twitter bio or banner. And then And your teammates and your coaches and you know, your parents and your family. Like you are more than you. Exactly. And it's so easy for me to just search your name and handle on on Twitter. And if you've been in the professional circuit, your name is out there too, which I think that all professionals should have their their legal name somewhere on social media. But that's just me. Um, I think it would add more, you know, liability to that specific person. They'd probably be a little less, you know, quick to type stuff out. Um, and we we were talking about this in the company the other day is like i can just go change my twitter handle tomorrow to something else and some people might not even know who i am for the longest time uh and you see it with some players who never had their name attached to anything and it's kind of scary if you think about it 
because there's a lot of stuff that happens in this industry. Yeah, I mean, the internet is definitely, you know, the real wild west. And then when you come with, you know, all the abilities that you can to mask it, it definitely, you know, gets really interesting. So kind of bring us to the conclusion, you know, what's the future for the organizations and, you know, for you in the academic space? Um, so future for Parabellum right now uh, is definitely just continuing to focus on those two core teams that we have and then obviously the iRacing division. Um, so. Parabellum Rainbow Six men's and women's teams, Rocket League men's and women's teams. Um, and then we're going to start looking into some other games. You know, we're doing some research on Halo right now. We really like Halo. Um, and we're doing some research on Valorant. So we're going to see where we go. Um, not making any promises anywhere yet, but we're always looking and seeing what's next. Um, as for Northern Shield, those programs are we're we're always ready to to launch that program. We're just trying to find the right time. I'd love to launch an in-person kind of um not camp, more so like an after-school program for Northern Shield. So just finding where the right place for that would be. We do have arenas um that we're we're with. Uh so Waves Gaming is our our main flagship arena that we have um in Toronto here. Uh, and we're opening up another one in Ottawa, uh, part of our uh, organizational, you know, the the corporate organizational structure. Um, so those are opportunities for us to have in-person uh, programs. And then for education, you know, continuing to work and hopefully educate some of the colleges in Canada on why esports is booming and why it's a good opportunity. Um making sure that they have not just academic programs, but also competitive teams that work cohesively with their academic program. Um, because it's not just, it's not just teaching the program. It's having those, those teams that, that work with it all the time. You know, I don't think having a school with just a pro an esports program and not having a team makes sense. Um, so there's some opportunities there. Um, and then I'm just going to continue teaching with Seneca for now. Uh, so I enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. And I, I even learn a lot from the students. So uh, it's really good to see that if I'm reading an assignment and I get to learn about something too, it just, it makes my job more enjoyable. So that's probably it for me for now. Amazing. Well, it definitely sounds like there's some really exciting things on the horizon. So definitely, you know, be on the lookout for more from the team. So, you know, thanks so much for joining me. This was very insightful. So tell everybody where they can connect with you and the team and, you know, what your socials are. Perfect. Yeah. So uh, the team is Parabellum Esports um, on all of our social medias. It's PBLM Esports, um, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Um, and then for me personally on LinkedIn, it's a great way to connect with me. Uh, my last name is a little bit of a mouthful. It's Chris Lamarucciola. Uh, Chris Lama is my, my handle. I'm sure easily searchable. If you type in Chris Parabellum should come up. Um, and then on all social medias, it's at it's Chris Lama, L-A-M-A, um, on pretty much every single platform that exists. 
Awesome. So, you know, thanks for joining us and thanks everybody again for tuning in and make sure to follow me on Twitter, Justin J E S Q. Check Apple Podcasts for all our past episodes.